Welcome to the final episode of the podcast before the Rhode Island primaries that are taking place tomorrow. I'm your host, Ryan Lukowicz, and just about 24 hours from now at about 8 p.m., the polls will be closed. And don't forget, uh, you can be a voter starting tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. The polls will open. Um, you can find more info about uh, your polling places as well as look at that sample ballot on the Rhode Island Secretary of State's website, which is a great resource for everything uh, related to elections, regardless of politics or who you're going to vote for tomorrow. But this is important for um, all voters and, of course, uh, <laughs> Democrats in particular, considering there are um, much more interesting uh, primaries with all due respect on the Democrat side, which maybe is a compliment to the Republicans, um, I guess, considering they're more unified this year in Rhode Island. But I wanted to do this really informal um, and casual episode uh, just as we're closing in here. This is it, the final countdown. Uh, you know, we've been, we've been covering this on the podcast since January, and here we are. It's September 13th. I know I've been talking about this day for months. People have been asking for your vote on September 13th for months uh, here on this podcast. And if you are still an undecided voter, uh, it's not too late to go check out uh, previous episodes wherever you're listening right now, as I've done uh, close to two dozen interviews with um, people in these major races, inclu- including for the gubernatorial primary, um, as well as uh in the lieutenant governor's race, and especially in the second congressional district. I've been really proud of my coverage for that one in particular, considering I've had every Democrat on. And, uh, you know, the the recent polls for that one still show uh, some undecided voters. um, But of course, uh, Seth Magaziner does appear to be the front runner um, in that one. So I would say of the five major races in Rhode Island tomorrow, that's the the one that at least has the clearest front runner. In the gubernatorial race this last week, I really feel like it's been the Helena Folk show. Um, she's been picking up momentum ever since she aced that pop quiz on the Channel 12 debate. And that's the boost she needed, folks. And we'll see. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting because she could still win tomorrow. Or she could get fourth place if Matt Brown becomes really energized and you know is is able to get his supporters out. Uh, you know that's not out of the question, although it's um, not likely either. Um, but she's been the candidate with the most question marks all along. I feel like people uh, last October felt like she didn't have a shot when she first announced. Um, you know, especially with Seth Magaziner still in the race, people thought um, you know he he would probably end up getting it. Um, you know, we we really have been talking about this uh, since the night of the general election uh, in 2014, as uh, a lot of people uh, pointed out, um, because, you know, people were in line for this, right? Uh, If if you're in a statewide office, um, such as secretary of state or lieutenant governor, this is the climb you hope and want to happen. Of course, Seth Magaziner ended up switching into that congressional race when Jim Langevin decided it was time to retire and uh, vacated his seat for lack of uh, better words. Uh, but but either way, Helena folks, 
she was a CVS executive. She doesn't have a lot of political experience. And um, Dan McGowan uh, really had a hot take today on his uh, interview with Bill Bartholomew. That's a a great podcast as well, and you can go check it out wherever you're listening right now. It's the Bartholomew Town Podcast. And, of course, Bill has a lot of great coverage uh, not only on the pod but also uh, for WPRO, including many debates in all of these races I'm discussing, and obviously Dan McGowan's been covering them closely in the Globe as well. Uh, And and they're just two of the many great uh, reporters slash analysts um, who who have, uh, you know, been been covering and and talking about these races for months, if not years now. Nellie Gorbea is really the opposite of folks, though. Um, She had a pretty flawless campaign. I think she had a big advantage uh, because she didn't have to sweat these last few weeks. Uh, like folks did trying to, you know, get out the vote and and build momentum. Uh, she also didn't have to spend as much money. You know, four million dollars uh, is is significant on ads. And yes, it certainly helped folks. It's you know, uh, you know, she's gone from single digits to double digits. Um, I think the winner of this ends up getting thirty to thirty five percent. And I don't have a gut feeling on this one because it's just so close and it could come down to uh, a few hundred votes. And I I think it does show not only that the Democratic Party is a big tent, but there is plenty of division in it considering four candidates have decided to challenge Governor McKee. The problem is that we failed to see a lot of substance come from any of these candidates, Uh, you know, just to be honest. Um, there isn't a lot that specifically differentiates them on policy. Uh, of course, you have Brown and Munoz who are clearly more progressive and farther to the left. So they've done the best differentiating themselves. But, you know, it's, it's been clear in these broader statewide polls that there isn't uh, much support for that. Now, I think Munoz gets about 5% of the vote uh, just due to partially – uh, people being sympathetic to him not qualifying for the last debate. Maybe they want to give him a chance. And I think if we had ranked choice voting, as many would point out, he may do better. And then Matt Brown has, to his credit, built such a coalition around the Rhode Island Political Cooperative. And you say what you wish about them, but um, they are pretty well organized and they have all of these candidates running for the legislature as well. So his top-down approach is really interesting. And I think Cynthia Mendes still has a shot to win uh, that LG's race. Uh, but Gorbea, um, you know, she, she had a bit of a snafu with the uh, accessible ballots, um, particularly um, the ones in Spanish had some, some issues, including English headings, um, wrong, the wrong spelling, and most significantly, the wrong candidates on the ballots, which has, um, you know, caused uh, some panic from Mayor Lorza. Um, who ironically is supporting folks for governor. So it does get a little bit messy when you're still the outgoing secretary of state and running for a higher office. Um, you know, and, and early voting, I think, certainly helped her, right? Because folks, uh, you know, didn't have um, as much momentum back then. And uh, of course, you know, she, she's had a, a couple of other little issues as well, uh, such as uh, an ad with uh, a, a Latinx group, plus, um, you know, an, an issue with red boxing, which I won't get into. It's it's very uh, it's a very inside thing that even I struggle to understand. But um, it, regardless, um, these add up, 
And it's, it's been back and forth with folks in McKee uh, about CVS these past few days. And, you know, is, is folks, uh, you know, not, uh, you know, t- taking enough responsibility when it comes to the opioid issue? And then is McKee not supporting CVS? Now, today was really interesting. I think Dr. Alexander Scott, um, you know, endorsing folks not only puts her into the, the mainstream you know, news cycle right before the primary. It was on the six o'clock news tonight, along with about hundreds of millions of ads in between. Um, but it shows, I think, that McKee has certainly had some issues with people in his cabinet. You've seen this with Courtney Hawkins as well coming out in support of folks. So despite no official Gina Raimondo endorsement, uh, people around her are certainly uh, looking as at folks as kind of a 2.0, although she doesn't like to be um, compared to the former governor, it's certainly a, a realistic comparison, and, and you're seeing that in you know the people who surrounded Governor Raimondo during COVID, you know, really when it was bad, um, you know, at at the peak, um, and now McKee came in. They tried to, uh, they appeared to try to work with him, and then it just didn't end well. Uh, Hawkins again was the director of, of DHS. Dr. Alexander Scott, obviously the Department of Health director and, and really led the COVID response. Uh, the official director of um, th- their response, kind of on, on an operations side, Tom McCarthy, added uh, fuel to the fire with um, NAS today as well, um, you know, coming out and, and bashing McKee. So it, it shows that, you know, maybe it's not all politics, but uh, just the fact that maybe he didn't listen to them as much as he should have on COVID, um, was, uh, you know, it, 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 it still kind of relevant. And although COVID-19 isn't a mainstream issue now in, in the 2022 race, um, it, it still has to go back to his leadership. But he does have the big advantage of incumbency. That is clear when you look at, um, you know, all these bill signings he's been doing. And of course, you know, most Democrats support expanded voting and marijuana legal legalization and, you know, these uh, stricter gun laws, right? So he's, he can say he signed all of those bills. Uh, now, regardless of, of the work he actually put in, I know he works with the General Assembly, but, um, you know, there's still some question marks around that and it's not hard to sign a bill. Um, but Tidewater Landing has also equally helped and hurted him, if hurted is a word, I guess just you know, hurts him going forward for the primary tomorrow in general. Um, but because he does have the support of organized labor, um, you know, a, a lot of the, the little unions coming out in support of him, um, the teachers' unions are split. You saw NEA come out in support of McKee, probably be, partially because of this. Uh, but also AFT is supporting Nelly Gorbea. So you have that interesting division there. Is it a big deal at the end of the day? Probably not, um, but but juicy and, and kind of surprising and strange either way. Um, but the, the candidates have attacked him on this. It's 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 just another thing, you know. It's it's an easy attack, you know. Why isn't there more affordable housing? Why wasn't there more transparency on the price tag? Um, are Pawtucket taxpayers going to bear the brunt of this at the end of the day with, uh, you know, a, a, just a bad investment in general? But he says he's the only one that's willing to give a chance to Pawtucket. So it has become a campaign issue. 
and he says he's the only one that's that's really been able to follow through and 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 would do this good of a job and you know wouldn't let Pawtucket down for lack of better words. Now, the lieutenant gubernatorial primary is. I don't know how you describe this, right? Sabina Matos um, has been in the lead. Again, she has the same advantages as McKee, but not participating in debates may hurt her. Um, but but she has been able to travel the state and, and you know, for, for a year and a half as the LG. Granted, she was appointed, but either way, she's certainly been working on housing. Um, and, and, you know, other issues, I think people also do appreciate that collaborative approach. Uh, we didn't see that between Ramundo and McKee. I think he knows that. And, you know, there's a reason they've been uh, apparently so close. Um, although I hear she's trying to distance herself from him. So I don't know. We'll, we'll find more about out more about that maybe in the next term in general if, if they do get uh, reelected. But listen, Cynthia Mendes has really uh, unified the uh, progressive uh, wing of, of the Democrat Party, you know, the, the people who are further to the left. And Deborah Giro, uh, who is also moderate um, and, and, a, and an outgoing state representative, uh, really challenges Matos more on style, um, you know, such as uh, her not being accessible, as well as, uh, of course, the, the debates is, is an easy attack. Uh, so I wonder if we've, you know, we're going to see the moderate vote kind of split. Are there enough moderates to support these two candidates to outdo the one progressive? I don't know. I think that's a really fascinating concept because, of course, Mendes will kind of get likely the Brown support, the the, the Munoz supporters as well, and even some Nelly Gorbea uh, supporters. You saw that with the Women's Caucus endorsement um, with them endorsing both Gorbea and Mendes a few weeks ago. So I don't know. Um, that that one's kind of funny. It wouldn't surprise me if any three of them won. I think they're all formidable and um, have ran pretty good campaigns, but Matos debating may end up being a mistake um, or it may just kind of end up not changing much at all because you know it was the m- m- middle of summer when these debates were recorded. I know Channel 10 had one a couple weeks ago on their show 10 News Conference, but um, again, you don't want to overestimate these debates. I mean, they're, they're certainly good for undecided voters. So maybe it, it hurt her in that department, but does she have a strong enough base? So as you can tell, a lot more questions than answers I have. Uh, sorry, not sorry for that. Um, in, in the treasurer's race, James Diosa is going to definitely, uh, you know, get uh, the support of the urban core, considering he was the former mayor of Central Falls and I think has a very um, interesting and potentially relatable story to uh, you know many in the Latinx community. He's also appeal- appealed as the progressive candidate. Um, so he's been able to unify a good part of the party, but Stefan Pryor is that Gina Raimondo alumni, and there's no support. Uh, there's no uh, doubt that, sh- that she... Uh, still has support and obviously she won statewide twice and now has become the United States Commerce Secretary. So um, she has supported him in that race. And the last poll had it just one point apart. So <laughs> it's it's too close to call. I think this race stands out in particular because 
uh, you know, it's only two people. So really easy to, to be negative on each other early. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, you got to stay kind of on message and positive in the multi-candidate races, such as the one for governor. But that landscape is different, uh, you know, with just those two candidates. But uh, at least it's good to see, um, you know, t- two people who really want the job, but they do have some some flaws. The Providence Journal um, did good, did good stories on both of them, um, kind of exploring and uh, potentially exposing their previous records. And finally, the Providence mayoral race. I think this one has taken a dramatic turn over the past couple of months, with Brett Smiley clearly being the front runner, and then thanks to Mayor Lorza and Angel Tavares's endorsements, Cuervo um, may may take that one over. I think um, it's another one where these two gentlemen are neck and neck and they represent uh, two very different parts of the city as well as, uh, again, different wings of the Democratic Party as well as as Corvo has certainly identified himself as the most progressive. LaFortune is rather uh, liberal as well, but, you know, she she certainly uh, has a a great life story. Uh, It's just been been hard with Corvo's uh, incredible ground game to really gain support as a working mother and someone who still has to do the work of a, of a councilwoman. And she is uh, outgoing, um, but but still running running for mayor. And the big question is, does she take away from Smiley's east side support or Cuervo's progressive support? Um, and, and I think uh, whichever one she taps into more, you know, whoever it hurts, unfortunately, will probably end up coming in second place. So those are my thoughts. Uh, very last minute. I hope you enjoyed them. Uh, Make sure you get out to the polls tomorrow if you haven't voted already, uh, either early or by mail, and go check out my previous podcasts, especially the last one, episode 93, was extra special, um, as we get to hear everyone's perspectives on these races with uh, nine people, eight audio messages, um, and and a lot of... uh, great analysis uh, packed in from many different people. Uh, Hopefully uh, it will be better than just me babbling on here, but uh, hopefully you enjoyed that too as well. So thanks for uh, clicking the play button and I appreciate um, people valuing my thoughts. And of course we'll do a full recap um, on the podcast and I'll be kind of live tweeting the results uh, as they come in tomorrow night. So stay safe, stay well, stay dry and be a voter.